0: how we doing not too bad you sir are not golfing oh too much uh
1: no actually just from working out a little bit too uh a little too hard today i uh, ripped
0: my hands wide open so i might have to put golf on the back burner a couple days well it looks like it so like just the knurling what like what got you how'd that happen you're gonna hate this
1: but i was doing some i was Bringing together some kipping pull-ups.
0: Wow. I, I'm i making judgments that I'm not going to actually... Go ahead. Make them. <laughs> Just kidding.
1: A lot of things. I will say I've done a lot of different things since being in kind And uh, expanded a few things. Stay competitive. Stay active. It's been actually pretty good. Nothing. Cool. Probably, probably a lot of things I won't carry over to my own
0: profession. But on personal personally... So, what specifically got you doing kipping pull-ups, though? So, when I got home, the only I have access to
1: is uh, my dad's best, friend and he's a straight crosser. So I've been I've been crossfitting probably four to four to five. So yeah, and I've been full on going for it. It's been it's been good. It's been different.
0: There's some things I obviously agree with. Some things I. Did, but it's been a good. So, are you are you trying things to sort of validate maybe why you didn't conceptually agree with them? Like, is are you sort of just I'm going to embrace it and uh, like see what happens like going through an actual workout? Or yeah, I think I think it depends on how you
1: look at it because I look at CrossFit as a sport like in itself. Okay. So, you know what I mean? So I think if you look at it as a sport in itself, then it's a lot easier to probably agree with. But if you just look at it as like a form of training, then it's kind of, you know what I mean? If you're training for a separate sport and you're using CrossFit, thing, it's a risk-reward, obviously. Right. It starts Things start right. to separate out a bit more. But you can say the same thing for people that play football, people that play tennis, people that play this. Like There's a lot of different risks that kind of get involved, but some people, whenever they get done – competing in different sports and stuff they don't really have anything that's why people take up golf that's why people fish that's for sure people. and then also staying active i think another thing a lot of people don't give enough credit for is that crossfit has made the united states especially um, a lot more active and it's also brought a lot more attention to olympic lifting so the olympic lifting community can thank crossfit
0: a lot that. Yeah, but uh
1: yeah, I didn't think we we're gonna get on here and go into a full CrossFit. You well,
0: know, you never know. That's the problem with, or the the great thing about an open conversation is, yeah, who knows where it's gonna go, right? Um, well, and one of the things about CrossFit that's always a challenge is it's a brand. Yeah, it's sort of, and I, I mean this in a in sort of a, a loose way in pencil, but it's a a style of working out, if you will. Yeah. Um, but then, to your point, if you take huh. it as a sport, like, when people really dig in, like, some of the other fundamentals that we would end up talking about in general end up getting applied. Yeah. Where, like, people periodize, like, obviously, they, they try to peak in terms of when their regionals occur, right, try to get to the games, et cetera. It's um, you start
1: looking at some of that stuff. I will say that, like, how people program in the period of everything. How they try to like actually for those events it's really really interesting super interesting and there's no, so absolutely much, but it's so much that goes into it too which is you know it's a lot different but i don't know i like i'm really competitive so it's been uh it's been fun kind of keeping me competitive it gives me something to look forward to every day i've normal- you tear your
0: hands apart yeah
1: tear my i mean obliterated and it's funny because the guy was like he's trying to get me to use the grippers things and uh i, no, I can't do that that would make me the ultimate crossfitter if i started using you know, <laughs> and everything and i was like yeah, my hands are good. i was like they're all calloused up so i'm fine And then, sure enough today we did because uh, we're going to do murph um on memorial day we did we did today which is like 20 minutes of five Five pull ups, ten push ups, fifteen air squats, as many rounds as you can possibly do. And one of my friends just texted me like a, a goal, and I just wanted to be it. so I just killed myself. And next thing you know, I looked at my hands full of blood. I was like, "This is dumb." <laughs> so,
0: well, yeah the 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 bummer and like that it affects you like for tomorrow.
1: Yeah, you know, affects- that's that's kind of
0: when you end up feeling like it's become dumb, but
1: yeah. Well, in yeah, in- in- hour- go ahead. Took a shower, and my hands are on fire,
0: and I. <laughs> That's true. I didn't think of that. So, whatever. That's fine. So, uh, so obviously, we didn't get you like golfing while we were chatting. Um, but the two sorry. other things, because we just talked a couple of days ago for, for people who were listening, but uh, bourbon. Yes. And cigars, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Also, two things that COVID nineteen, we blame it on blame it on the virus is kind of allowing you to explore a bit more fully. Yeah, a little w- bit. What what's our update? What's our update with those? Because as a cocktail hour, I thought maybe you might pull one of these and be like, so the bourbon of the day is. Yeah. So I, I put uh, I put my, my speak in a uh,
1: just being a university and important. Figure that part out, but um. It was actually fun. So I found a cigar bar for the first time in my entire life when I was in Philadelphia, and I kind of found it as a way on like a Friday night after a game, like when I don't, you know, don't feel like going home yet and just kind of want to wind down a little bit. I stopped there with one of my buddies who's also a strength coach at Temple, and he took me, in, and I went to this cigar bar, and it was just like really relaxing, put me to sleep, whatever. And I came home and asked my dad. Just the other day, I was like, hey, you know, is there anywhere in – I'm in Robinson, Illinois. which was the middle of nowhere. Is there anywhere in Robinson, Illinois that you can get a cigar? And he goes back – it was a really cool moment, actually. He goes back to his closet and pulls out just six cases of like five – No kidding. $5,000 worth of cigars that I never – That's seen. awesome. I had no idea my dad has ever smoked a cigar in my life, actually. I'd seen him actually smoke a cigar once uh, when my best friend got married – I was the best man in the wedding, and my dad was an usher. We smoked a cigar. That was the first time I ever smoked a cigar, first time I ever saw my dad. And little did I know, my dad is a a cigar connoisseur.
0: Nice. So had he then, as you were growing up, just sort of hidden that from you? Like, maybe we don't want to let our son know that smoking is this thing? (laughs) I didn't see my dad drink until I was uh, probably
1: 20 years old. I probably saw him maybe drink one or two one-off beers. And then when I turned, like, 20, 21, and I was in college, I started to see it, and it was a lot different. So it's, it's funny that now that I'm older, I'm seeing so many different
0: things. Yeah, uh, so what, what we're saying there is in your professional experience now, even though your dad did his the best that he could to keep yeah. you from seeing those vices, I've opened up with bourbon and cigars. Right. And really done your dad a total disservice. So, all
1: right, it's all, it's all in at this point. He's completely all in. <laughs> Before, like, well like that's cool. it was for him. So, growing up, and they really wanted me to see him like freaking beers, or or drinking scotch, or or smoking cigars and stuff like that. So, uh, I got older, he, knowing that I'm responsible. Um, he has a pretty that's kind of cool. Now, he drinks Crown Royal. He doesn't really drink much bourbon. He drinks Crown Royal and, and a couple of different things. And, and we drink plenty of Bush Light. And, and you know, that's what we, we got over here is Bush Light. <laughs> we drink plenty of Bush Light. We fish and we hunt and we do all that. But uh, little did I know that he has a little classiness to him because his name's Bubba. He's got a little classiness. Oh, is that right? Yes. Yeah. My dad's name's Bubba. So, he's got a little classiness to him. He smokes cigars, I guess, every once in a while. So, how big is the town you grew up in? It's 5,500 people, 6,000 people. And we're the biggest town within an hour,
0: actually. So, So then, what's the transition to Philly been
1: like for you? Well, so, I went to Eastern Illinois University, which is about 18,000 people. And it's campus. Right. Right. Like the first time I ever went somewhere, I was like, "Holy cow, there's people here!" And then I went to Camp Illinois for my first job, and that's like, I don't know what—it's probably eighty to ninety thousand people, so it's a little bit bigger. And then I moved to Bradenton, Sarasota, which I thought was a city. I thought Sarasota was a city, and then now Philadelphia. So it's been like a gradual increase over time. So it's been. It's been a lot different. I guess. The parking, I mean, you come home from work and you freaking take an hour to park. That's the worst part about it.
0: Yeah, parking, particularly in Philly, yeah, is, is a tra- it's a sport in and of itself. So, it's absolutely a sport. And then you better
1: be able to parallel park. And people play cars, and that's just all, that's just what they do. You're gonna come out. You're gonna have little dings in your car. That's that's just part of it. You know, people just boom boom boom, and then they get out and they're good.
0: Yeah, I, I went through learning the, the parking thing when I... I moved to Chicago right out of college for a while. Yeah. And thought I was a pretty good parallel parker. And then I learned what quality parallel parking really is by, yeah. by watching some folks like squeeze into spots that they probably had no business squeezing into. So. so you mentioned like post-game... So does your competitive side keep you from calming down post-game? Yeah. So you mentioned like you went to the cigar bar. Like, do you kind of get into every single game? Yeah, I get, I,
1: I don't want to say that I live through it, but I do a little bit. And then my competitive side kind of comes out a little bit. I know I, like I've gotten so many text messages actually just because with the American Conference, we actually have like a pretty good deal with ESPN. So we're like, we're on national television like a lot. And I'll get text messages that I'll see after the game. Like, dude, like lay off the gum. Like I, I had to stop chewing gum. <laughs> i chewing gum so hard. And I'd have like my phone of me just like or videos of me just chewing the crap out of some gum so I got to figure out like some other little like nervous habit to take care of but after the game I'm like if we win we normally aren't like you know there very long which is good but if we lose there's, we're going to watch the whole game for sure uh, so it just kind of depends on the game but I definitely have a lot of trouble winding down after games after road trips after, you know, even during, like, whenever we're in heavy training, like, I have trouble winding down even then. That's where golf is good, um, stuff like that. Just having outside influences to kind of take my mind away from it. Cause I'm a person that's just like, it's all I think about. It's all I want to do. It's all I, you know, it's just too much.
0: So, it's safe to assume then that translates to high energy in the room when the guys are in there lifting?
1: Yeah. It's, uh, Yes and no, because guys, my guys especially, and a lot of basketball players too, they don't really respond real well to the high energy. Like, they almost see it my opponent in a way, I guess, um, hmm. because basketball basketball players in general don't really like to train. So honestly, it's almost more of like relationship based training for my guys, especially in smaller groups. When it's bigger groups, it's high energy because you have to be control the room. Like that's the only way to do it. I almost depend so when it, especially because during the season whenever we practice we use the weight room every day as our warm up like that's how we transition onto the court every day we practice or every day we play we're going to start in the weight room like that's how we start uh whether it's thirty minutes whether it's twenty minutes whether it's an hour or whatever it might be we use that so you know a lot of that has to do with energy and making sure when we step on the court coach mcKee knows that you know we're we're good to go um so on those days, a lot of times, yeah, it's really high energy. On, on more of the individual training, when it's like with the red shirts or we're during the summer and we got smaller groups, it's more relationship building and, and you know, we're training hard, um, but we have those times of just realness where we're actually having conversations between sets and, and stuff like that. But the season, when it's a full team training session, it's a lot harder to get that. Um, but I like to think I'm a relationship-based coach rather than kind of a rah-rah cheerleader guy.
0: Well, and you can certainly blend them, but I mean, kind you can you to certainly. your point. You've also got to know your audience, right? So, if they're not yeah. going to respond, there's not much point in no in going not. full like high energy. There's, so,
1: I mean, like great guys. They're compliant. They're, they, you know, they're awesome. They're going to do whatever I ask them to do. But you know, if you just really want to build a relationship and out of it, meeting people
0: and and speaking to people genuinely. Yeah. Being genuine is kind of a big deal. So um, one thing I wanted to ask, like you mentioned, you, you start everything in the room. I didn't get to come out for the install. Yeah. When we were there. Um, are you guys, are you then right off of the floor or what's the layout like there? When you walk into our practice facility, the
1: first room on the left is our way. And then you walk down a little bit of a hall. If you turn left, it goes to the locker room. It's practice facility. the practice yards from there. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, so we I mean we're 15 yards from the court. So basically and we what actually ends up happening is we start with film. They start in the film which is like if you turn left you're in the weight room, if you turn right you go in they'll start in the film room and then they'll come straight to meet in the weight room and then they'll transition straight out to the court. Basically is how kind of our whole day runs every single day. It's kind of a transition like hey, we start with the basketball film we start in the weight room, and then it's like a real quick – because I personally hate the dynamic warm-up every day during practice. The coaches hate it. The players hate it. Um, we just use it just to, to get going. We transition from the weight room to moving on the court, and then we go straight into practice. And we utilize the first probably two drills of practice to really get the guys going full speed in the sense of sprinting and whatever. But we get all the the general prep done in the weight room. You know, Gotcha. Now like that, you know, all sorts of different things.
0: So that, like, one of the things I was thinking about, because uh, even though we were joking about bourbon, cigars, and golf the other yeah. day, yeah. um, so you accept a position, you get ramping up on your first season, but you yeah. don't even really get to finish it. No, you right? don't even. It, because of COVID.
1: It was, weird. it was a weird, super weird season because – we got a late start on the – so I got the job in April. The money basically didn't get approved until – for because I got – they told me, like, hey, you get a new space. You're going to build a weight room. You're going to do this. And then how it really works is you don't really get your money for a long time from what I found out. We um, finally finalized where the space was going to be, what we were going to be able to do. I didn't really get my weight room until December of the year. So, you know, you guys came in and installed, Elite Form installed. Um, and then Hawkins dynamics came in installed. Soren came in. And by the time that we're actually functioning in that weight room, it's December, you know, we're, I mean, we're getting ready to go into conference play and then you go three months of training in that weight room where you're kind of feeling everything out. And then the next thing you know, it's just seasons done. And then there's no off season training other than me sending workouts, you know,
0: online. Right. So how do how are you thinking about, and here's, here's my more serious question, right? So how are you thinking about, like, ramping back up, like, assuming you're able to, like, get everybody back in a kind of a somewhat reasonable time frame, right? Because I assume your guys would have just – I assume your guys wouldn't go home over the summer um, and they would have stayed. Probably for summer one. Last year, we trained straight through everything, basically. Mm -hmm. They
1: they got probably a total of 14 days off, and, and some of that was voluntary. Some of it wasn't. You know, a lot of my guys stayed because they wanted to stay new coach. Right. They want to prove themselves, whatnot. But this year, I think we planned on being home for summer one. And then we planned on being back on campus by at least June 24th. Um, so what we really are missing is like that six week block of April through the first two weeks of May, you know, tell about really right about now, I think graduation actually would have been last weekend. So until this weekend, I would have had that six weeks block to train, they would have went home for probably, you know, four or five weeks, and then we come back, and then we basically train all the way till mid-August, um, but now, you know, you basically go from from full competition mode to not even really a decondition. It's just more like, hey, boom, done. Now, it's going to be like we're trying to figure out where we're going to be, because if we're in yellow, we got to work out outside. If we're in green, we can work out inside, but we're going to be yellow before we're ever green, but then... if Come back on campus, and you're only allowed outside. How are you going to play basketball? Are we going to just go to the park, or so? There's a lot of it's. It's going to be a lot of questions on how we kind of ramp guys back up. Um, but the NSCA has done a pretty good job of giving out protocols and, and stuff like that, volumes, intensities, and stuff like that. Too.
0: So, but when they when the guys finally do come back, you'll you'll have all your tools then that you wouldn't have had like when you first came on. So um, what are going to be some of sort of those core things you're going to start like looking at in terms of metrics? And, and I'm not asking you to give any sort of EF spiel. Obviously you got Hawken and stuff like that We're this is a no spiel program, but yeah. uh, like <laughs> what are the key things you're going to look at to, to kind of start mapping things out going forward? Um. Well, In reality, we probably won't have those things
1: still. We'll be back at ground zero, maybe even less, because we'll be working outside. We're talking about a tent. We're talking about literally setting up a tent outside, putting squat racks out there, setting up plywood if we wanted to ever do any Olympic lifts, and then some power blocks and some kettlebells and sandbags. That's what we're looking at if we do come back um, originally. Um, And then we'll start transitioning in. But you also, we have, I'm trying to think. I think we got five guys returning, six guys returning. So there's only been five or six guys introduced to the old stuff. Now we got a whole new fresh batch of guys. Five freshmen, I think, four or five freshmen we got coming in that's never even
0: lifted weights before. Literally, all of them never even lifted weights. Before. And then, so just to make sure I'm following, yeah, like you already know enough about them to know they've never lifted before. This isn't just a generic. Fixing freshman comment. You literally know these particular people I haven't lifted. So, I mean, my training program has been
1: telling them what to do, but I, you know, I'm not with them and they've never stepped really even foot in a weight room before. But they're coming in at ground zero and we're going to be kind of a little bit behind, to be honest, because, you know, we're, we don't get some of the time that we would have had, nor will we be in our space, nor will we have some of the tools that we have. I got guys coming off injuries, so there's a lot of different things that we're going to have to manage for sure. Um, and that's where you guys and Hawkins will be really honest because especially with the guys coming back from injuries and return to play and, and, and kind of stuff like that. So it's going to be – it'll be interesting, really interesting to see.
0: So it's really going to be year three for you potentially until you're actually going to hit what most people would know as a regular schedule.
1: Correct. And that's odd. And I think when I was at IMG Academy, I was there for two and a half years. I think I was starting my second year whenever I felt like, hey, things were starting to go pretty smooth. And, I, and like this room's kind of running itself. Like I felt like I could sit in front of the room, give kind of my little spiel at the beginning, and then guys just knew what to do. They understood what was expected. Where now it's going to be a situation where like it's going to be a constant like we're trying to establish and then, you know, but we're kind of behind the eight ball, and I didn't really get to do it last year. Now we got a whole new batch of guys. Um, and that's kind of part of it. And that's what you get in college basketball. You get 13 guys at a time. At IMG Academy, I was working with 200 kids. Like I was, like 200
0: kids that I was working with, which is freaking ton. But, um, but yeah. A lot of reps, so to speak. Yeah, I will but, and, say that. And also multiple sports, right? Am I remembering that correct? Like yeah. you didn't just land all. Yeah, my first year I was there, I was with like every sport there. And then uh, my last year
1: and a half, I pretty much just transitioned to only the basketball. And then kind of just, you know, I was over a lot of, a lot of different teams with that. Because um, there's there's like, I think there's 17 or 18 basketball teams there, including men and women. So it's hard to even explain or conceptualize. So when you say reps, you get more <laughs> reps looking at IMG Academy than you would... Anywhere else, I don't know where else you would go and get team training, or you get that type of experience. I don't think you could really go anywhere else and get that. To be honest, with everything that they have to offer and what they what you do there.
0: Well, yeah, IMG is it's definitely its own animal in a way, just in terms of of kind of what exists. I you know I don't even know how to put it like at that location. Like, yeah. you need some sort of a broad brushstroke comment to even encapsulate it. Uh, it was funny. I asked I asked our crew, like, any, are there any questions they wanted me to throw your way? Yeah. And uh, Avery, being Avery, was like, well, yeah, ask them what the most frustrating thing about working at IMG was. Now, obviously, we're not going to ask you to answer that <laughs> because it's nothing but love. Um, and there's a lot of people that have come out of IMG that, like, you know, we still work with today. Obviously, yeah. you've got Coach Blue, etc. cetera. Um, were you, when Avery and I were down there with the initial install and we did the large training, were you in the room
1: that day? When you did the initial install, I was, I think it was the summer. Was it during the summer? Do you remember? It that? was during the summer, yeah. That was when the room just, they just put the racks in. I was actually, this is wild to even think about this. I remember seeing you guys. Um, I'm pretty sure we might've like spoke a little bit in passing, but I was a summer, I was summer staff at that point. I was working at the university of Illinois underneath Adam Fletcher and Fletch told me, said, Hey, go down to IMG Academy because of the exact reason we're talking about the amount of experience you get in coaching. And every single day I was on the floor from seven o'clock to six o'clock. And I was coaching the entire time. You get about an hour at lunch or you can, you can lift before or you can lift at lunch or you can lift after. Zero chance you're lifting after work, after those days being out in 100 degrees. But I just remember seeing you guys because I was down there for three months as a summer staff, and it was one of the best summers of my life, I will say that, and uh, living in Bradenton, Florida, not knowing anything else um, and working down there. I remember remember you guys being down there
0: uh, doing that install. So funny how that kind of turned full full circle. Would you say that then your time at IMG is where you – started to establish who you were going to be as a coach going forward. I know that sounds a little cliche, but there's a, it seems like a lot of coaches will mark this point in time where they felt like they really started to connect the dots.
1: Yeah. And I think that I got that because you meet guys like Dave Ballou, you meet even there's other guys that are down there that you wouldn't even know their name, but they're incredibly smart. I mean, they have a great staff down there. So you've got 15 strength coaches that are down there and we're all doing different things, everybody's competitive, too. You're competing, and you don't even know it. You know what I mean? Like, you walk in a room, and you see, you know, Will Townsley over there. He's running baseball, and he's an incredible strength coach. And the way he runs a room, you're like, oh, Catholic. that's kind of intimidating how well he runs a room. You know, go talk to the lacrosse strength coach, Matt Wheaton, who's a, you know, sports science guru. He's the kind of the elite form, liaison for him right now. He works with the Kistler Plates. Great dude. And then you go, you know, somewhere else where somebody's into gymnastics. So then you kind of get exposed to a little bit of everything. So you kind of fog a lot of stuff out. And then you can start to really get to know, like, hey, this is what I like to do. This is why this works. This is why this doesn't work. That might work, but it doesn't work for me. And you see that. And then you get to explore it over and over and over and over again because you got 20 teams that you're working with at a time. Um, so I think definitely that was like. I mean, that was a game changer for me was being down there and the experience that I got just for those reasons.
0: Definitely the people. So what do you think you took into – one of the things that, that will come up almost inside conversations with coaches is is sort of the interview processes you guys have to go through. Yeah. So, like, when you first interviewed at Temple, yep. like, what were what were some of the things that you sort of brought forward to sort of create – the value that they ended up seeing in you. I'll be honest. They didn't ask one question about strength conditioning
1: in my interview. Not one, not even during the interview process. They have no idea. I don't even know if coach McKee still knows what the heck I do. He, I don't even know if he knows what elite form is at this point. Like he, it was more just about my passion and, and me being genuine in the stance of just talking to him and and connecting with the people and them understanding that of who I was and what I wanted to do and why I wanted to do it. They just kind of almost bought in more to the person. I guess it was because I connected so well with, with coach, with the staff and we have similar things. You ask about questions. One of the first things he asked me about was actually golf. He found out that I was a golfer. We talked for 40 minutes on my interview about golf. So it was, it was funny. And it's
0: (laughs) so, is your golf game that good or is it uh, just the, did you have a shared sort of level of play where you could connect that way? Um, well, I played
1: collegiately and I think that that's, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's one of the more interesting points is I might be the only golfer turned strength coach maybe ever in the history of of college basketball strength conditioning. I don't know any other college basketball strength coaches that were former collegiate golfers. So that's very rare and random. Um, so that's like, it's almost like a point, which is cool. You see in the basketball world, golf is so popular. I mean, you The Last Dance. I mean, Michael Jordan's obsessed with golf. And I've noticed most retired basketball players or people later in their career, they just, they drive straight to it because the competitiveness, you can gamble with it. You can do all of these things. And there's nothing, more interesting to those people than people that are good at golf so whenever they see you hit a golf ball they're just in absolute amazement um so it's been it's been kind of funny just to see like how that's played a part into my profession like my profession and it was just something that has nothing to do with what i do now so
0: so at img or anywhere else did did you ever combine like being the C guy over a golf team
1: has that happened yet they started to talk to me about it a little bit towards the end. And I just, I wanted to stay as far away from it as possible because I was already tabbed a, a freaking golf guy. And every person I ever talked to in my career told me like, what are you doing? Go into golf. You go work at a country club. You go do this. You go do that. And you'd make way more money. And I just didn't want to do that. I was, I've always been really passionate about basketball and I've always been passionate about other sports. It was just a situation where like I'm five foot eight. 185 pounds, moderately strong and not fast at all, so like I just wasn't that great at other sports, so golf just was one of those things. So, I just played every sport growing up. Golf just happened to be what I got good at.
0: That's super fascinating. I had no idea. So, what is your strength as a golfer? Strength as a golfer? Or are you just well-rounded? Yeah, like you hit it long. Well, you were looking at Tiger Woods and looking at how to drive it long last time we talked, so...
1: Yeah, I yeah, that's um. I'd say honestly, my competitiveness was probably my anchor that I kind of stood on a little bit. I was pretty competitive, and I had a lot of confidence. I was almost cocky to a point where I didn't practice nearly enough, but I was still pretty good. I'd we won't playing. we won't tell any of
0: your athletes that. No,
1: but the thing is, is weird. I'd be playing different things, like even during the golf season, I was like. Like I don't want to say I was like Michael Jordan because that sounds silly, but I was playing like during the season I'd be playing basketball, I'd be doing this, I'd be doing that. I was just constantly doing something. I was just always active, and but I always had confidence in whatever the heck I was doing. Uh, so it was, it was, yeah. I don't know what my strength is. I guess it was just more my confidence.
0: So that what's interesting though is I think someone could argue, and I would, that could apply to anything, right? So sure, yeah. if you go into a situation, you know, kind of with confidence, like with that competitive attitude, yep. more often than not, it's going to age you as opposed to hinder you, right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's what – so when I talk about strength and conditioning, that was what strength and conditioning like did for me whenever I was younger. That's why I got into the field, to be honest, because whenever I was 16, I was a fat kid. I was just a kid that coordinated but couldn't really move. But I played all the different sports, and I actually broke my leg. Um, and then a guy that was in Robinson, who did strongman competitions, he crossfitted a little bit. He was just into, you know, into doing stuff. Um, he kind of, like, kind of took me in, was like, hey, dude, like, you're super fat. You need to get your shit together. And I just started training with him, and I eventually started training twice a day. And I got obsessed with it. Um, and it gave me that confidence that I kind of talked about and it kind of fed over into a lot of different things. To be honest, it fed over into my personal life, into sports, into my profession, into kind of just everything that I did. And then you start to understand what confidence can kind of do for you. And that's really like golf in any sport. Honestly, if you're not confident or, or feel good about the work that you put in or whatever you've done, then chances are that, you know, you won't be very good no matter how talented you are for sure. I see that with my kids even today. What was that? I see that with my kids even today. Like, they could be unbelievably talented, but if you lack confidence and, and a lot of different things and you don't really realize how good you are or or have confidence in the work that you have put in and you get to that game and, and you're in a situation where you're hesitant, like, I mean, you, you lose. Yeah, nine times out of ten, you lose.
0: Well, yeah, hesitating will is a great way to minimize any advantages. you may have had in a moment right for sure Um, yeah yeah. so do you feel like then going back to that interview process a lot of these things we were just talking about whether you were directly expressing it or indirectly expressing it that was coming out and and kind of what they saw in you to bring you on in terms of having you a part of the staff
1: yeah now coach coach says that he tells me my biggest attribute honestly just my boss tells me my biggest attribute is Kind of how I speak and how I look at things. And, and, you know, I'm pretty, I just, I feel confident about, you know, the things that I've done just because i tried them. I practiced them. I've made sure that they work and, you know, I've seen what doesn't work. I've screwed up multiple times and then I fixed it and then I've applied it. And then I just, you know, I'm okay to say that, okay, I kind of screwed that up. Let's try this over and over again. So um, I think that that definitely has to do with passion too. I don't think it's, it's hard to be really passionate about something and speak if you're not confident that's what oh
0: absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. i mean you've got to you've got to kind of kind of know your stuff right yeah so you can speak intelligently and then if you have a passion for it those things sort of combine to create right. that air of confidence and then if you can get that across to your team yeah um so which is where the communication piece sits right sometimes um verbal or nonverbal. Right. Guys own the room in a variety. Coaches own the room in a variety of ways Um, that all becomes important. So, like, do you feel like your group right now is pretty competitive or is that something you're still working, I guess, with so many new people coming in? Maybe you don't know yet, but like, do you you feel like that is something that's going to grow within your program as you're there?
1: Yeah, I think so, because just knowing the kids. And the interactions that I've had, like, I think that I'm pretty good about that. Just, you know, when you speak with somebody, you understand kind of who they are a little bit. Like, after you have a couple conversations with somebody, you understand, like, are they timid? Are they confident? Are they not? You know, you can kind of just get a feel for somebody. And I think that I'm really excited about that because we got some young guys that are really, really competitive. And then our returners are as well. Um, and I think the biggest thing is, too, and this was another step in my confidence as well as vulnerability, and, and being being able to be vulnerable and be able to understand like, hey, like maybe I'm not so good at this, but I need to try this. Because in order to really be confident in something, you got to be able to try different things, experience failure, and then actually be able to conquer it. That's why I think that there's a lot of different training techniques that you can do um, to kind of help somebody that might not make sense from a programming standpoint or a periodization standpoint, but just giving somebody confidence because this is something they couldn't do before, but now they can or this is something they feared before, but now they don't. Like anytime you can do that and you can kind of take away any limitations that they might've had, then you, you can kind of instill some of that in them. And that's the only thing that I think that's with everybody, but I see that in some of my guys is we gotta be, we gotta be willing to be a little bit more vulnerable with our peers and the people that are around us.
0: Yeah. The, the, the idea of being comfortable With failing, uh, one, it it translates to so many different things, but it it is a a very difficult thing for people to get comfortable with because many times, like obviously failing, like failing at your job, people worry about losing their job, right? And so uh, that's where leadership, mentorship, et cetera, plays a bigger role than like everyone knew it's important. Everyone knows it's important, but, like, being able to sort of step back and let somebody, like, truly grow uh, is uncomfortable on both sides to some degree.
1: And that's not over-coaching either. And I think that's – we were talking about, you know, being a raw, raw strength coach or me being high energy and whatnot. I think the, the people that had the most impact in my life and kind of who I am were the people I just didn't want to disappoint they weren't really the people that yelled at me all the time they weren't really those people they were more the point that like really took an initiative to help me and really like were you know put me in situations that made me realize maybe not in that time but later like hey this is kind of why they did this you start to start playing and and you start to like start living your life to not disappoint certain people there's like there's probably 5 or 6 people in my life now that like I think about whenever I you know, whenever I make certain changes in my life or, or I do certain things, it's to really not disappoint them. And that's like what really drives me and probably why I work hard, other than the fact of seeing my, my dad work really hard for a really long time to provide for our family and changing jobs. And, and now that we're in a comfortable place, a good place, but that was strictly because of how hard he worked, you know, but now you're in a situation where like, I saw that, and then I saw the certain people that kind of took initiative in my life. Scott Rawlings was one of them, the, the strength, coach I was telling you about when I was in high school, and there was another guy. My grandparents had passed away whenever I was young, um, so he kind of stepped into my life as almost like a mentor and just a guy that I played golf with. He wasn't even trying to really be that person for me, but I just never wanted to let him down when it came to golf or anything else, so those were true leaders in my life, and they didn't ever yell
0: well, it's that's that's always interesting. You like you brought up the guy who maybe he wasn't intentionally like trying to be a mentor for you or or supply guidance, but that just proves the point that oftentimes people see us in a way we're not expecting. And yeah. so it's sort of this concept of you just live your life, right? Like trying to be a proper role model, do the right thing. You never know who's watching.
1: All done all the time and we talked about that with you know like that was the thing With, i think that's what drove like michael jordan to be so awesome is because he constantly talked about somebody might be seeing him play for the first time and they might think like oh he's not that good and that's what drove him literally every single time that he played basketball and why he practiced so hard why he did everything because he never wanted to disappoint somebody that watched him a lot of that's ego obviously you know maybe i uh, maybe I'm really ego-driven in the sense where I don't want people to think less of me, uh, but that's part of what drives, I think, certain people to be really competitive and a lot of times to be really successful. Uh, so I think that that's unbelievably important, and that's why I think it's it's leadership is in so many different ways, and I hope that I can create relationships with my guys where they understand how much I care about them so that they get to that point where, like, you know, Brady, has put in a lot of effort. I'm starting to understand what he says. I don't want to disappoint him. Like that would be like a, that'd be next level for me. That'd be, that's fulfilling. That's why I do it.
0: Oh, abs- absolutely. And so then, um, like, do you feel like, you know, you go from IMG where you've got, um, obviously we were saying a lot of reps, just all these kids, right. Yep. That, that you're trying to, to do, do right by. And now, you're able to whittle that down into a basketball roster size. Like what are the things that sort of you're now freed up to do that you couldn't have done before? Like are there certain things where you're like, well, this is great because now I can do X, Y, and Z.
1: I can do a lot more personal training. Um, I can go to lunch more. I can be at more things like practice. I can be at film. And those are things that i because I like basketball damn near just as much as I like weightlifting. So, so for me, like I absolutely love hoops. So I'm around all the time. Those are the things that I can do now that I wasn't always able to do at IMG because I was always coaching. I was always coaching. So I never really, until my last year, I finally was able to kind of work it out a little bit. They gave me somebody kind of underneath me that was able to do certain things. So then I was finally able to kind of transition into that. Um, but I wasn't really able to do that, so I guess if that could go into your negative, I guess before of what you're saying, like for IMG, I just wasn't able to be around as much. We'll,
0: we'll qualify that as the answer to Avery's question, right? Uh, yeah. And move from. I mean, it sounds like to put words in your mouth. Tell me if if you feel this way. Like you feel like you're truly a part of the of the if you want to call it sports team, but like the basketball staff, right? Yeah.
1: For sure. I feel that. And I, I want to feel that that's like important to me. And I want them to feel that, you know, that, you know, whenever they look at it, they want to think that my investment is that, that I'm not just like an outside guy that I'm like part of it and their investment, that my investment matches their investment.
0: Well, it's always, it's been, it's always interesting for, for us. We've got this sort of outsider view as elite form. We get to know the strength staff. And then we get to know sort of their knowledge base and what they're capable of. And then so there's always that conversation of does the for whatever sport it is, is that sport taking advantage, right, of everything that their strength staff knows is able to do their understanding of the kids. And it seems like that's a constant work in progress.
1: I think it is. But I think that that more relies. And like I said before, time, being around, and building relationship with that staff. And understand that every conversation that you have with that person can't be a conditioning at all. Like I've, I've gotten to know my staff through golf, through playing pickup basketball, and none of that has to do with sets and reps. None of that has to do with technology. The guys, that's just them believing and building a relationship with me as a person because we're close and now we build like a friendship. Now they will listen to me a lot more. Like I can bring something up. Okay, well, we trust Brady because of the person that he is, rather than he's just bringing information. All you're doing is bringing information, and you're wondering why they're not taking the information. Oh, why is why are they not listening to me? Or why you know may I you know why are they not doing this or why not doing that? Coaches going over in practice or this. Some coaches are more approachable than others. I do believe that, but I everybody can find ways to build relationships with people and get them to understand and start to believe in person. And I think that's the more important way to look at it is what can I do? To be able to kind of, and you got to sacrifice it, sacrifice, time, sacrifice different things just to be able to connect with people and get them to realize your investment.
0: Well, at the end of the day, and I know, I know we feel this way and it's a bit of a softball cause I'm pretty sure you feel the same, but, we're in a relationship business. Absolutely. Like I, you know, we point cameras at people. You, you know exactly how to interpret those things that we spit out. But still, at the end of the day, who the kid that did the lift? Yeah. And your relationship with that kid is going to be the most meaningful thing that's happening in that room that day.
1: Like it has. If I increase, you know, one of my kids' verts by two inches, that's not going to mean near as much as. If I instill some type of confidence, some type of vulnerability, his ability to to patch relationships with certain people, whether it's in the team, whether it's in their life, whether it's, you know, whatever it is for them to kind of make me, you know, forward steps, become better people. That's way more important than anything I could do in the weight room. And then this is just kind of my vessel to work in like the weight room is kind of my vessel to really work with these kids. Um, And I think that if you're only looking at it from a sports performance standpoint, then you're missing the boat. But that's just me. I'm just a, I'm a relationship based person. And what strength did for me was just a lot more than sets and reps, increased vertical, increased back squat, increased this. It did a lot more for me. And it's the reason why I'm here and,
0: you know, have, you know, feel pretty good about what I've done and everything else. So you mentioned that you'll play pickup basketball with the basketball staff. We've talked a little bit about your golf game and that you were a golfer, but how's your pickup basketball game? I'm a hustle guy, big hustle
1: guy. Play real hard. Play real hard. I can make an open show and I'm trying to get people involved. I guess that would be more my game. My, uh, my high school and, and middle school career was not. I was the class in front of me, won a state championship. And then my class might have been the worst class in the history of Robinson High School when it comes to basketball. We didn't win. We won two games in my entire middle school career. And then the, the class above me actually won a state championship. So it was a big.
0: Wow. Play. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it was a rough transition for that coaching staff, most likely, we might say.
1: Passive, rough. Actually, he ended up uh, he ended up resigning after after, after that won a state championship, had my class,
0: resign. Well, that sounds like not accepting the challenge. I don't know.
1: if it- <laughs> <laughs> Great guy, great guy. He
0: just – Yeah, I'm just kidding.
1: I'm ended just being kidding. Principal, he ended up being a whole bunch of different things. But I will say that my, my class was just not very good at basketball. Me but I'm a lot better now than I was before. But I'm a big hustle guy, big glue guy, glue guy on the basketball court.
0: So we'll will we'll pencil you in as that role player, yeah. making everybody else better. Big role player, yeah. Big role player.
1: Or so, the driver on. So,
0: the, and then a role player on the basketball. So here's here's what we'll do the next time. Uh, well, I haven't I haven't been out there to see the facility. When I'm out there, we'll have to do this. So, I was a basketball guy uh, okay. to a great degree, right? Um, but yet, you know, I'm only five nine. Right. So we match up pretty well, but I can't golf to save my life. Oh, so a really good friend of mine tried his best to get me into golf in college. And uh, I could do an amazing job of almost hitting the ball in a circle. Right. So that's how much slice I would guess. Right. We're talking about you're going Uh, actually a hook. But okay, I'm going left to
1: right. Okay, 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 yeah, yeah, there you go, yeah. Then that's a massive slice.
0: Yep, so uh, played baseball, played in college, uh, yep. had the baseball swing, and I could actually hit a ball straighter if I just put the club on my shoulder and took it from there Oh. as opposed to actually trying to hit the ball what I thought might be a proper golf swing. So we'll have to do the maybe in the morning we'll hoop, yep. right, in the afternoon we'll golf and we'll see how that balances out over yeah. the course of the day. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty sad state of affairs when you get me on a golf course. So
1: we
0: got it. To, yeah, it see how we do there. But I'm just
1: telling you, it's uh, it's been pretty good. You can take clients out, you can fly in. I don't have any strength coaches play golf, though. I will be honest. There's not as many as, as, as there are basketball coaches. A lot of basketball coaches play golf, not a lot of strength coaches play
0: golf. It's, Fair enough. Well, we'll just match it up however we see fit. And so for us, yeah, I think it's hoop, hoops and golf. We we can, we can get that done. Golf, bourbon, and cigars. Perfect. Perfect. Um, inst- I've made the mistake on a few of these IG Lives where I let it roll, and then Instagram kicks you off after an hour. Yeah. So um, anything you wanted to talk about, though, before we, we sort of end the session?
1: No. Um
0: so what is the bourbon of choice right now? Eagle Rare. Big fan of Eagle Rare, actually. It's not. Okay, Avery is really into bourbon and oh, a variety of other things. So he might know what you're talking about. I do not. Bourbon would be Bullet.
1: If you know Bullet.
0: Do you know Bullet? I do know Bullet, yeah. Like the simple bourbon. That's a really simple
1: bourbon that you can drink. I actually like that. And uh, I have to say that my bourbon actually came from. Have you seen Peaky Blinders?
0: Oh, that's my show. Like-
1: I used to drink bourbon with a little splash of ginger ale in it. Okay. Since watching that show, I don't smoke cigarettes. They smoke cigarettes the whole show. But yeah, for sure. I do drink they I mean they probably drink Scotch, but I drink my bourbon neat. Now, because of that show, and now I think my appreciation for it has exponentially grown and I have to I have to give all the credit to uh to Peaky Blinders. For
0: that, as long as you're not sewing razor blades in your hats,
1: yeah, I'm not I'm good, man. I'm not doing that. But I will say that, that Thomas Shelby is is one of the ultimate. Values.
0: Absolutely, oh, <laughs> you you and I are totally on the same page there. I uh, the first after I watched the show for the first season, like the f- next day in the office, I was like, fellas, I don't know what's you know what you're watching these days, but you have to watch this show
1: get through and anybody that's watching the whole whopping six people you gotta get through the first episode it took me probably three times watching it to get through it but after you get through that you start to really get into the show it's I mean it's the best show
0: absolutely and it just keeps getting deeper each season deeper every
1: season it gets better the storyline changes Thomas Shelby stays a badass the whole time so he's probably my favorite character of all time for sure
0: uh, he's He's got to be one of the tops. I'm with you there completely. So, Free some water we'll, neat. So. so we'll just, the next, when we order up, it'll just be Irish or scotch. Yes. We know which way we're going. Yeah. And that'll be that. I love it. Yeah. All right, brother. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, obviously, we'll be in touch about a variety of other things. Um, but, uh, yeah, then maybe when we're out there, we can actually do a, a proper podcast as well. That'd be great. And uh, go a little deeper on some of this stuff. So I appreciate it. problem, Skip. All right. Have a great weekend, man.